So far, people have been healed of all sorts of things through the miracles of Jesus. They've been, they were blind, and now they're not blind. And they couldn't walk, and uh, now they're walking and dancing, you know, choreographed dances. And there are all sorts of, all sorts of miraculous things. They didn't have enough food, and now they have food. And then we get to um, really the first one that we find in John. And Jesus is relieving people of an awkward situation. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've ever prayed for a miracle to get out of an awkward situation, but um, the Lord knows I have, um, and usually they're of my own creating. Uh, all right, I remember it just wasn't my fault, but I was in church one time, and I don't know if you know this, but every time you go to church, you're counted. Big Brother counts you. And there's a they, they take an attendance. Well, there was this guy at this church whose um, job it was to take attendance, and he had, apparently had gotten tired of saying the numbers in his head. So he brought one of those clickers. <laughs> and so while the preacher was preaching, he was in, <laughs> there was like 350 people in this church. So 350. Now, to me, that's fine. I, you know, I can, I can, that can go, yeah, hey, stop it. Good boy. Boy, babe. Point. Uh, <laughs> to, me, to me, that's okay because, it, like, you know, listen to that, I can sort of ground that guy out and listen to the preacher. But the problem is, I'm married. And I don't know if this is all, I don't know if this is all women or just this woman. But say you're in, you're in bed and the man, the man is, I'm about to go to sleep. Which you, once I decide I'm going to go to sleep, you have three seconds. I'm, I'm, I'm getting tired of time. Oh, never mind. Rachel will nudge me. What? That fan's making a noise. <laughs> You're probably right. Now, early on in my marriage, I thought that was just a declarative statement. You know? I thought, oh, good point. I'm going back to sleep. Which that means, no, that means let's fix it or we're turning it off and it's sweating. So, like, they, they, but, so this guy's in the. Kind of, what do you want me to do? Tackle it? <laughs> so I, I was wishing there was a prayer I could pray where this thing would magically turn quieter. Or, but no, no, there's nothing you can do. You can't, you can't tackle people at church. You call me on that. You, even if your wife wants you to, you're not supposed to. So the result, I'm hoping, let's just get out of this. Maybe he'll move over to the side. No, his vision was great. He could see, but just stand right behind us and click. Those awkward situations are just, you know, they're passing. But in this particular one, Jesus was at a wedding, and something awful happened. Um, it might not happen at one of your weddings. Uh, they ran out of wine. Um, well, this isn't working. Man, if I knew how to work technology... That'd be so much better. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. 
Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, but no more wine, no more wine. When the wine was gone, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. This was a disaster. They wanted more wine, and they had no more wine. And at a wedding, okay, so the way a wedding worked back then was this long, this ridiculously long feast where people came and sometimes for days celebrated this this uh, union. And they would have they would have a, there would be a parade involved, and who's good at like a parade without wine, right? And so they're on. They they had to they, they had a party to attend to, and Jesus was at this wedding. And they ran out of wine. Now, not only this, not only was this just sort of socially embarrassing, but it could also it could also land you in legal trouble. Someone who came to that wedding and didn't get as much wine as they wanted could sue you because you didn't provide for the festivities. And it happened a lot. And so, what happened is these people the. Seems to reason that these people who um, were hosting the wedding, typically the father of the groom, um, the people who were hosting this wedding would say, would try to guess what they would need. And that these people were probably not as well to do as everyone else in the community. Maybe they were poor. And they just sort of provided the minimum. They didn't. The best they could, but what the best, the best they could was not enough. And so, Mary, I don't, to be honest, we're not sure what role she plays in this, comes to um, comes comes to Jesus and said, "They're out of wine." And I love his response. Response is next slide for me. His response is, woman, what does this have to do with me? Woman, what concern, what concern is that to you and me? My hour or my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Oh, this is just like a mother, isn't it? <laughs> right? No, but he, he says, I'm, I'm joking about the woman there. That's his, um, that's a nice way it could be better translated dear woman or kind woman. Um, it's odd he calls her, the, the word he uses here is an odd word for your mother, but still, he's saying, dear woman, why, this, isn't, this isn't my responsibility. And she says, okay, do what he tells you to do. And then leaves. And you can see Jesus going, well, I guess he's going to do something now. So, as John says in the next passage, next slide. Now, standing there were six stone water jars of the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he then inquired, verse, not, verse the next slide please. He then inquired the steward, 
called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Uh, this is just a statement to say that the wine Jesus made was a better wine than the wine that they uh, thought was good for their head. Uh, at this point, at this point, do not get derailed by a conversation about wine. Wine is another shiny thing. Remember last week, the demons are shiny things? You know, a demon shows up and we're like, oh, let's study demons. Like, no, the story's about Jesus. Let's stay right here with Jesus. And we don't want to study wine. Okay. Um, typically, people come into this passage with their own thoughts about wine, and they come out of it with the same thoughts. Alright, so just think what you thought, and then move on. You don't have to study to do that. Um, so they they come into this passage, um, but, but wine is not the point here. Jesus is the point. And what we find Jesus doing is taking a situation that is difficult for people we probably know, but doesn't know extremely well, it seems. He's sort of in the back hall with the servants. And he says, alright, well here's what we're going to do. See those, those jars, 20 to 30 gallon jars. Let's fill those up with water, which actually is something they were very accustomed to doing. That's one of the things the servants did all the time, is fill jars with those jars with water. Because when the guests would come in, they would take they would take their uh, hands and they would ceremonially wash their hands before going and eating so that they would be ceremonially clean. Um, figuratively clean. It's not actually clean, but they're pouring water over them, ceremonially clean their hands so that they can go and eat and um, drink wine and get drunk. So, there is and they complain about no more wine. Jerks. So, Slow down there, Jewish people in the first century. Doesn't make it be misconstrued. Don't quote me there. So there, there was a... There, so Jesus said, well, let's, let's fill these up with water and then dip some out and take it to the, take it to the head of the ceremonies, master of ceremonies. And you can imagine these people saying, well, <coughs> so you're just going to take in water? Now, there are some scholars who think that, and these scholars are lunatics, but there are some scholars who think that Jesus actually didn't turn water into wine because everyone was so drunk that he was like, hey, it's water, you know, that they moved on. They're wrong. That's a theory floating out there. So, but Jesus, they, they said, well, we're taking water. Just take it to him. And they, they, they took it to him, and he said it was the best. Best wine of the night. Now, what's interesting about all this is the final statement, actually. Well, let's go on. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. His disciples believed in him. Let's go, go back one more. Sorry. Let's not get to that one yet. So there is a, there's this sense, this tag at the end of this story that says this was his first sign. Okay, now what's a sign? 
A sign points to a thing. So you, most of the signs we have around here are those little uh, boxes with the arrow and the lights on them. And they have a place for your, your words down at the, at, on the sign. It says, hey, there's a thing here. Typically, it's, it's a Mexican food this way. Or, or barbecue, or it sounds food. And we say, oh, there's food there. We follow the arrow. But if we were to go to the sign, and we were to say, where's the food? You promised food. The sign would say to us, I'm not the food. I'm pointing to the food. That's what these miracles often are. They're not just stories unto themselves for us to say, oh, well, how neat. They point to something bigger that God is doing. And here we've got this story of these, these Jewish, and we don't have time to go into the depths of it, but there's at, at every turn of this story, he's pointing to some old way and pointing to what that he's going to change that old way into. See, wine in the Old Testament is a symbol of peace. Whenever the prophets uh, prophesy about the, uh, the new uh, kingdom of God ruling and talk about things that we will not we'll run and not grow weary. We will walk and not grow faint. The line will lay down with the lamb. We will, we will hammer our spears into plowshares. Like, talks about peace. And then it says, and wine will flow from the mountaintops. Several times. Talk about wine flowing through mountaintops. That's a symbol of we have, we will be at peace. And so what Jesus took was this old system of you gotta, you gotta wash your hands properly before you eat. Which is still not true, it's just no longer a salvation issue, right? He says you this old way of doing things. I'm replacing it with the wine. I, I never say my titles of my sermons necessarily, but I always have the title because I say the at the top of this one it says red red wine. <laughs> Which I don't know about you, but I grew up listening to UB40's version of that song, and it's still the better version. I don't know who, I don't even know who's saying that. Don't answer. We're moving on. But there is, there's a sense of like God's, what God is doing to this system is changing it into something beautiful. It's an old system of this is how, this is how the law worked. You had to get things right. You had to be purified. You need to, you need to present yourself as holy. And Jesus takes that and puts it in a cup and takes it to us and says, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you. You gotta remember this, this letter, this uh, telling, this gospel, telling of Jesus' story. Written in the late 80s, early 90s. Like zero, zero, 80. So the church, Jesus had been dead for, um, oh no math, Jesus had been dead for close to 40 years, 50 years. 
60 years. 60 years. Man, 40 years. Way off. Jesus had been dead for a long period of time, and the church had been functioning and working, working for a long period of time. And the only thing they had to remember Jesus by was when they came around the table and they took up the bread and they took up the cup. And they grabbed the bread, they took the bread and they took the cup. And they said, Jesus is Lord. And anytime they hear of Jesus making wine, their thoughts immediately go to their, their regular, consistent uh, practice of taking in the Lord's Supper. Gathering together and communing with one another. All throughout John, there's um, seven different times that they think John has one of these signs. Jesus does one of these signs pointing to something else. And then John, not wanting to confuse us, says in John chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe. The reason we tell these stories, the reason we talk about water and wine, is that you will come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in His name. That your old way of life will be turned into something beautiful. That the old mess, the old chaos, the old legalism, the old, that it will be transferred into something worth your time. That Jesus can do through you what he did to that water. Jesus can do for you what he's done for a lot of the people sitting around you. And I would argue that a lot of this following of Jesus falls back on regularly saying together as a church Jesus is Lord Jesus is Messiah He's the Son of God and that's why we do that's there's no other reason so he, he can take beautiful uh, thing, things that aren't beautiful and make them beautiful he can fill the need with just the smallest the smallest of acts. But if we want that to happen, I think it's important to heed the words of his mother. Do whatever he tells you. To know that Jesus is the one who handled 
your broken situation. And John believes he's the one to do that because he's the Messiah, because he's the Son of God, because he's the sacrificial lamb, because he's the one who resurrected from the grave. Jesus is the one worthy of our commitment. And we should therefore do whatever he tells us. Another good question about this passage that we don't have time to get into is why do you think John started this whole story with the words, on the third day? The phrase they were super familiar The resurrected Savior wants to make something beautiful out of you. But it is important that you do whatever he says. Sometimes you pray prayers like, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, be with me. It doesn't matter if you're not going to be led by the Spirit. If the Spirit's going to lead you a place, if Jesus is going to lead you a place, and you just don't go. You don't do what he says. Your belief about who he is is showing. No matter what you say, if you don't do what he says, you aren't powerful. My favorite quote is super simple. One of my favorite quotes in the world. Um, I'm going to tell you who said this, but then you tell other people I said it. Okay? Um, Scott McKnight says, The mark of a follower of Jesus is plain and simple. They follow Jesus. Sometimes we can think the mark of a follower of Jesus is somebody who just... Well, they, they, they believe the right things. They go to the right church. They, they sit in the right pews or chairs. <coughs> they have a regular attendance. We, we, can, we can say that the, the, there's, a, there's, there's so many different things about who is a follower of Jesus. And it's actually really clear. The people who are followers of Jesus follow Jesus. That whenever someone looks, whenever Jesus looks at you and says, do this, and that will happen, we do this, and that happens. You know those, you know those servants were confused at times. They, they probably just fill up those water bottles. Oh, okay. Now take it out, dump it in a cup. Take it to the, the master ceremony. I'm not taking a cup of water. Many times that you affect people's lives in ways that in the end they're not going to know where it came from. But it'll be powerful to them. And eventually they will know that because you did what Jesus told you to do, the 
lives were changed because of it. We talk about grace a lot here. We talk about forgiveness a lot. We talk about love a lot. I'll tell you, we're not we're not doing those things because because it's, it's fun. Forgiveness is hard. Loving your neighbor is hard. Showing grace and kindness to others takes effort. I'm not being easy on people by asking them to love. So when we say do these things, it's not because not because well we're trying we're trying something new here. We're trying to you know shake things up. Jesus told us to do these things. And not just for ourselves. The world works better when we forgive. The world works better when we love. Our our community works better when there's grace and, and kindness. It just works. And whenever we do what Jesus says, he takes this crazy mess that we, that we as a church are. We're a bunch of different people. With different views on things. Different beliefs. People who think differently. And dress differently. And vote differently. And pray differently. And have different backgrounds in church. Different beliefs about what this part of the Bible means. And what that part of the Bible says. But when we come together. Because, because we are loving each other. God takes something that's kind of chaotic, and at times we would think, well, it's useless. We're all so different. And he makes it beautiful and changes lives because of it. Church is not about us all getting together and having the right ideas. Church is about us getting together and following Jesus together. No matter where you are in this following of Jesus, we're, we're on we're, we're all following. So, this week, do what he said. And I think you'll be blown away by what happens. If, if you ever get to the point where you're comfortable with your following of Jesus, like the way you go about following Jesus, is pretty easy. Find a way to make it harder. And do what he says in those two. That that one, that one interaction is awkward. Well, jump in there. Fill up, fill up those jars. Pull out that water. Put it in a cup and take it to the one who's in charge. And see if it's not wine by the time you get there. You're called to do what he says. Not just because God wants us to like obey that. Because what Jesus says makes things beautiful. When Jesus tells us to do something, we do it, it changes lives and it matters. You want Jesus to change you. 
I would argue that coming forward and connecting, uniting with Jesus this morning, confessing Jesus this morning, is the best option to have today. But if you've got something hard that you think, I, I know Jesus is telling me to do this, but I, I just can't. I once knew a lady who needed to go talk to somebody. Um, contentious relationship. She said, I'm just at the point right now. She said, I know someday I will go talk to them. But I'm just at the point right now that if God wants me to talk to them, he's going to have to swallow me with a fish and spit me out in the front yard. You might be at that point, and so it may take time. And that's okay. But if you, if you need the strength to fight through that, as, let, us, let us as a church gather around you and pray with you. To, to hug you and tell you that we're here for you. Let us do that for you. You're not in this alone. You're not following Jesus alone. You'll never have to. We don't care how different you are, or how much you've messed up, or how, how bad you think your sin is. You won't ever have to follow Jesus alone. Because every week we gather around this table together and we remember that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We love you. If you need something from us this morning, in prayer, tomorrow you're not, you're not going to Jesus. Please come forward. Promise to you. I hear the Savior say. The first one that we find in John, and Jesus is relieving people of an awkward situation. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if you've ever prayed for a miracle to get out of an awkward situation, but um, the Lord knows I have. Um, and usually they're of my own creating. Uh, all right, I remember, and this wasn't my fault, but I was in church one time, and I don't know if you know this, but every time you go to church, you're counted. Big Brother counts you, and there's a they, they, they take an attendance. Well, there was this guy at this church whose um, job it was to take attendance, and he had, apparently had gotten tired of saying the numbers in his head, so he brought one of those clickers. <laughs> And so while the preacher was preaching, he was in... There was like 350 people in this church. So 350. Now, to me, that's fine. I, you know, I can, I can... That can go... Yeah, hey, stop it. Good boy. Boy, baby. Point. Uh, <laughs> to me... To me, that's okay because, like, you know, listen to that, I can sort of ground that guy out and listen to the preacher. But the problem is, I'm married. And I don't know if this is all, I don't know if this is all women or just this woman. But say you're in, you're in bed and the man, the man is, I'm about to go to sleep. Which you, once I decide I'm going to go to sleep, you have three seconds. I'm, I'm getting tired of talking. Oh, never mind. Rachel will nudge me. 
But I think that fans make the noise. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Now, early on in my marriage, I thought that was just a declarative statement. You know? But, oh, good point. I'm going back to sleep. Which that means, no, that means let's fix it or we're turning it off and it's sweating. So, like, they, they, but, so this guy's in the, and she's like, you gotta, what do you want me to do? Tackle him? So I, I was wishing there was a prayer I could pray where this thing would magically turn quieter, but no, no, there's nothing you can do. You can't, you can't tackle people at church. You call me on that. You, even if your wife wants you to, you're not supposed to. So the result, I'm hoping, let's just get out of this. Maybe he'll move over to the side. No, his vision was great. He could see, but just stand right behind us and click. Those awkward situations are just, you know, they're passing. But in this particular one, Jesus was at a wedding, and something awful happened. That um, might not happen at one of your weddings. Uh, they ran out of wine. Um... Well, this isn't working. Man, if I knew how to work technology, that'd be so much better. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, but no more wine, no more wine. When the wine was gone, the mother of Jesus said to him, "They have no wine." This was a disaster. They wanted more wine. And they had no more wine. And the, at a wedding, okay, so the way a wedding worked back then was this long, this ridiculously long feast where people came and sometimes for days celebrated this, this uh, union. And they would have, they would have, a, there would be a parade involved, and who's good at like a parade without wine, right? And so they're on. They they had to. They, they had a party to attend to. And Jesus was at this wedding, and they ran out of wine. Now, not only this, not only was this just sort of socially embarrassing, but it could also it could also land you in legal trouble. Someone who came to that wedding and didn't get as much wine as they wanted could sue you because you didn't provide for the festivities. And it happened a lot. And so what happened is these people, the, it seems to reason that these people who um, are hosting the wedding, typically the father of the groom, um, the people who were hosting this wedding would say, would try to guess what they would need. And the, these people were probably not as well to do as everyone else in the community. Maybe they were poor. And they just sort of provided the minimum. They did the best they could, but what the, be the best they could was not enough. And so, Mary, I don't know. Guys, we're not sure what role she plays in this. Comes to um, comes comes to Jesus and said, "They're out of wine." And I love his response. Response is next slide for me. 
His response is, woman, what does this have to do with me? Woman, what concern, what concern is that to you and me? My hour or my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Oh, this is just like a mother, isn't it? <laughs> right? No, but he, he says, I'm joking about the woman there. That's his, um, that's a nice way. It could be better translated, dear woman or kind woman. Um, it's odd he calls her, the, the word he uses here is an odd word for your mother, but still, he's saying, dear woman, why, this, isn't, this isn't my responsibility. And she says, okay, do what he tells you to do. And then leaves. And you can see Jesus going, well, I guess he's going to do something now. So, as John says in the next passage, next slide. Now, standing there were six stone water jars of the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, he then inquired, verse not verse the next slide, please. He then inquired the steward, called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And then the inferior wine, after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine. Until now. Uh, this is just a statement to say that the wine Jesus made was a better wine than the wine that they uh, thought was good for their head. Uh, at this point, at this point, do not get derailed by a conversation about wine. Wine is another shiny thing. Remember last week, the demons are shiny things? You know, a demon shows up and we're like, oh, let's study demons. Like, no, the story's about Jesus. Let's stay right here with Jesus. And we're like, well, let's study wine. Okay. Um, typically, people come into this passage with their own thoughts about wine, and they come out of it with the same thoughts. Alright, so just think what you thought, and then move on. You don't have to study to do that. Um, so they, they come into this passage, um, and, but, but wine is not the point here. Jesus is the point. And what we find Jesus doing is taking a situation that is difficult for people we probably know, but doesn't know extremely well, it seems. He's sort of in the back hall with the servants. And he says, alright, well here's what we're going to do. See those, those jars, 20 to 30 gallon jars. Let's fill those up with water, which actually is something they were very accustomed to doing. That's one of the things the servants did all the time, is fill jars with those jars with water. Because when the guests would come in, they would take they would take their uh, hands and they would ceremonially wash their hands before going and eating so that they would be ceremonially clean. Um, figuratively clean. It's not actually clean, but they're pouring water over them, ceremonially clean their hands so that they can go and eat and um, drink wine and get drunk. So, there is and they complain about no more wine. Jerks. So, 
slow down there, Jewish people. In the first century. Doesn't make it be misconstrued. Don't quote me there. So there, there was a... There, so Jesus said, well, let's, let's fill these up with water. And then dip some out and take it to the, take it to the head of the ceremonies. Master of ceremonies. And you can imagine these people saying, well... <coughs> So you're just going to take in water? Now there are some scholars who think that and these scholars are lunatics. But there are some scholars who think that Jesus actually didn't turn water into wine because everyone was so drunk that he was like, hey, it's water! You know, that they moved on. They're wrong. That's a theory floating out there. So, but Jesus, they, they said, well, we're going to take in water. Just take it to him. And they, they, they took it to him and that it's the best. It's the best wine of the night. Now, what's interesting about all this is the final statement, actually. Well, let's go on. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. His disciples believed in him. Let's go, go back one more. Sorry. Let's not get to that one yet. So there is a, there's this Sense this tag at the end of this story that says this was his first sign. Okay, now what's a sign? A sign points to a thing. So you, most of the signs we have around here are those little uh, boxes with the arrow and the lights on them, and they have a place for your your words down at the at, on the sign. It says, "Hey, there's a thing here." Typically, it's it's a Mexican food this way. Or, or barbecue, or in someone's food. And we say, oh, well, there's food there. We follow the arrow. But if we were to go to the sign, and we were to say, where's the food? You promised food. The sign would say to us, I'm not the food. I'm pointing to the food. That's what these miracles often are. They're not just stories unto themselves for us to say, oh, well, how neat. They point to something bigger that God is doing. And here we've got this story of these, these Jewish, and we don't have time to go into the depths of it, but there, at, at every turn of this story, he's pointing to some old way and pointing to what that he's going to change that old way into. See, wine in the Old Testament is a symbol of peace. Whenever the prophets uh, prophesy about the, uh, the new uh, kingdom of God ruling and talk about things that we will not, we will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not grow faint. The lion will lay down with the lamb. We will, we will hammer our spears into plowshares. Like, talks about peace. And then it says, and wine will flow from the mountaintops. Several times. Talk about wine flowing through the mountaintops. That's a symbol of we have, we will be at peace. And so what Jesus took was this old system of you gotta, you gotta wash your hands properly before you eat. Which is still not true, it's just no longer a salvation issue, right? He says, you, this old way of doing things. I'm replacing it with the wine. 
I, I never say like titles of my sermons necessarily, but I always have the title because I say them. And at the top of this one it says red, red wine. <laughs> Which I don't know about you, but I grew up listening to UB40's version of that song, and it's still the better version. I don't know who, I don't even know who sings that. Don't answer. We're moving on. But there is there's a sense of like God's what God is doing to this system is changing it into something beautiful. It's an old system of this is how this is how the law worked. You had to get things right, you had to be purified, you need to you need to present yourself as holy, and Jesus takes that and puts it in a cup and takes it to us. And says, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you. You've got to remember, this, this letter, this uh, telling, this gospel, telling of Jesus' story, was written in the late 80s, early 90s. Like zero, zero, 80. So the church, Jesus had been dead for... Um, oh no math Jesus had been dead for close to 40 years, 50 years 60 years, 60 years man, 40 years, way off Jesus had been dead for a long period of time and the church had been functioning and working working for a long period of time and the only thing they had to remember Jesus by was when they came around the table and they took the bread and they took the cup And they grabbed the bread, they took the bread, and they took the cup. And they said, Jesus is Lord. And anytime they hear of Jesus making wine, their thoughts immediately go to their, their regular, consistent uh, practice of taking in the Lord's Supper. Gathering together and communing with one another. All throughout John, there's um, seven different times that they think John has one of these signs. Jesus does one of these signs pointing to something else. And then John, not wanting to confuse us, says in John chapter 20, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written so that you may come to believe the reason we tell these stories the reason we talk about water and wine is that you will come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah Jesus is the Son of God and that through believing you may have life in his name. That your old way of life will be turned into something beautiful. That the old mess, the old chaos, the old legalism, the old, that it will be transferred into something worth your time. That Jesus can do through you what he did to that water. 
Jesus can do for you what he's done for a lot of the people sitting around him. And I would argue that a lot of this following of Jesus falls back on regularly saying together as a church, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. He's the Son of God, and that's why we do what we do. That's, there's no other reason. So he, he can take beautiful uh, things that aren't beautiful and make them beautiful. He can fill the need with just the smallest, the smallest of acts. But if we want that to happen, I think it's important to heed the words of his mother. Do whatever he tells you. Know that Jesus is the one who handled your broken situation. And John believes he's the one to do that because he's the Messiah, because he's the Son of God, because he's the sacrificial lamb, because he's the one who resurrected from the grave. Jesus is the one worthy of our commitment. And we should therefore do whatever he tells us. Another good question about this passage that we don't have time to get into is why do you think John started this whole story with the words on the third day? A phrase they were super familiar with. The resurrected Savior wants to make something beautiful out of you. But it is important that you do whatever he says. Sometimes you pray prayers like, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, be with me. But it doesn't matter if not going to be led by the Spirit. If the Spirit's going to lead you a place, Jesus is going to lead you a place, and you don't go. You don't do what He says. Your belief about who He is shows. No matter what you say, if you don't do what He says, You aren't My favorite quote is super simple. One of my favorite quotes in the world. Um, I'm going to tell you who said this, but then you tell other people I said it. Okay? Um, Scott McMahon says, The mark of a follower of Jesus is plain and simple. They follow Jesus. Sometimes we can think the mark of a follower of Jesus is somebody who just 
well, they, they, they believe the right things. They go to the right church. They, they sit in the right pews or chairs. They have a regular attendance. We, we, can, we can say that the, the, there's, a, there's, there's so many different things about who is a follower of Jesus. And it's actually really clear. The people who are followers of Jesus follow Jesus. That whenever someone looks, whenever Jesus looks at you and says, do this, and that will happen, we do this, and that happens. You know those, you know those servants were confused at times. They, they probably just fill up those water bottles. Oh, okay. Now take it out, dump it in a cup. Take it to the, the master ceremony. I'm not taking a cup of water. There will be times that you affect people's lives in ways that in the end they're not going to know where it came from. But it will be powerful to them. And eventually they will know that because you did what Jesus told you to do, that lives were changed because of it. We talk about grace a lot here. We talk about forgiveness a lot. We talk about love a lot. I'll tell you, we're not we're not doing those things because because it's, it's fun. Forgiveness is hard. Loving your neighbor is hard. Showing grace and kindness to others takes effort. I'm not being easy on people by asking them to love. So when we say do these things, it's not because not because well we're trying we're trying something new here. We're trying to you know shake things up. Jesus told us to do these things. And not just for ourselves. The world works better when we forgive. The world works better when we love. Our, our community works better when there's grace and, and kindness. It just works. And whenever we do what Jesus says, He takes this crazy mess that we, that we as a church are. We're a bunch of different people. With different views on things. Different beliefs. People who think differently. And dress differently. And vote differently. And pray differently. And have different backgrounds in church. Different beliefs about what this part of the Bible means. And what that part of the Bible says. But when we come together. Because, because we are loving each other. God takes something that's kind of chaotic, and at times we would think, well, it's useless. We're all so different. And he makes it beautiful and changes lives because of it. Church is not about us all getting together and having the right ideas. Church is about us getting together and following Jesus together. No matter where you are in this following of Jesus, we're, we're on we're, we're all following. 
be blown away by what happens. If, if you ever get to the point where you're comfortable with your following of Jesus, like the way you go about following Jesus is pretty easy, find a way to make it harder. And do what he says in those two. That, that one, that one interaction is awkward. Well, jump in there. Fill up, fill up those jars. Pull out that water. Put it in a cup and take it to the one who's in charge. And see if it's not blind by the time you get there. You're called to do what he says. Not just because God wants us to like obey them. Because what Jesus says makes things beautiful. When Jesus tells us to do something, we do it, it changes lives and it matters. If you want Jesus to change you, I would argue that coming forward and connecting and uniting with Jesus morning, confessing Jesus this morning is the best option to have today. But if you've got something hard that you think, I, I know Jesus is telling me to do this, but I I just can't. I once knew a lady who needed to go talk to somebody. Um, contentious relationship. <laughs> I'm just at the point right now. She said, I know someday I will go talk to them. But I'm just at the point right now that if God wants me to talk to them, he's going to have to swallow me with a fish and spit me out in the front yard. <laughs> you might be at that point, and so it may take time. And that's okay. But if you, if you need the strength to fight through that, as, let us let us as a church gather around you and pray with you to, to hug you and tell you that we're here for you. Let us do that for you. You're not in this alone. You're not following Jesus alone. You'll never have to. We don't care how different you are or how much you've messed up or how, how bad you think your sin is. You won't ever have to follow Jesus because every week we gather around this table together and we remember that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. We love you. If you need something from us this morning, in prayer, tomorrow you're not going to Jesus. Please come forward. Promise, Daniel.